Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. The one and only Son of God came to give His life a sacrifice for many. He died the just for the unjust. He came to give His life because He knew that apart from Him there was no salvation. He also knew that when He came to earth, the words which He spoke would attract those who were hurting, longing for something more in their life. He also knew that the words that He spoke would harden the hearts of those who did not want to know Messiah, of those who refused to see God in flesh walking in front of them, teaching, living, healing, ministering to people. And here stood the Messiah, the one that the builders rejected, and they rejected him. The only thing he ever did was love people. The only thing he ever did was minister to hurting people. The only thing he ever did was speak the truth. And the religious leaders wanted to kill him. All he had done was show that God loves men and women and that He cares about them and that God was willing to give His Son to die on a cross. And He began to teach about it. He began to prophesy about it. He began to explain to His disciples what was going to happen. And in Mark chapter 14, there is a phrase that I want you to see, verse 1. The Passover and unleavened bread was two days off. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. All he'd ever done was point out their inconsistencies. All he'd ever done was say to them, you've got all the form of religion, but you don't have the force. He tried to show them that the one that they had studied in the Scripture was standing before them. They had tried to trap him. They had tried to manipulate him all through the... Gospels, we see account after account of Jesus lovingly dealing with people who had one goal in his life, and that was to hurt him, to undermine him, to bring questions about his integrity and about his life. And they come to this point now where they are seeking to seize him and to kill him. And so in the midst of this, Jesus leaves, and he leaves the temple for good, and he goes down to Bethany about two miles south of Jerusalem on the southern slope of the mount. And there he has supper, a dinner is given in his honor by Simon who was the leper. And in the middle of this supper with all these gathered at the table, a lady, Mary, breaks in, takes a, an expensive bottle of perfume, breaks the neck of the vial off and pours it on the head and on the feet of Jesus as an offering, as an act of worship as a sign to her master of how much she loved him, how much she adored him, what he meant to her. It was the only way she knew to express herself to her Lord and Master was to give this act of worship, this expensive gift in his honor. And immediately the critics spoke up and criticized her. This, one of the most extravagant expressions of love in all of Scripture, was criticized. 
We don't know much about extravagant expressions of love these days. We are so cold and calculating in our society. We figure everything down to the last degree. We uh, worry a lot about our investments and about our stocks and bonds and about our interests, but we don't think much in terms of sacrifice. You don't see many people getting excited when you start talking about the subject of sacrifice. And yet here's Mary who sacrifices for her Lord. I see something in this story. I see that God has a different standard of measurement than we do. What pleases Him is sometimes an abomination to other people. What pleases God, what gets God's attention, what becomes noteworthy to Him, sometimes is rebuked by even those who say that they follow Him. God has a different standard of measure than we do. God uses a different set of scales. There are different measuring cups that He uses than the ones we use. I don't know what else happened, but I know this. The disciples were upset, but Jesus was pleased. And my friend, that is really the crux of life. It matters not if the disciples get upset if Jesus is pleased. The one thing that you and I must keep at the forefront of our lives is in our ministry, in our life, in our worship, in our service, in our decision-making, that all that we do, no matter how anyone else responds to it, that Jesus be pleased in what we do, that we glorify Him and that we honor Him. So how do you know if you're pleasing Jesus? How do you know if you're serving Him out of a pure heart? How do you know if your worship is acceptable to Him? Well, there are three or four things that I want you to see. First of all, I want you to see the meaning of worship and service. The meaning of worship and service. This alabaster vial was valued at about $50. It would be a man's wages for an entire year. It was expensive. Not much cologne I know of available today that costs an entire year's salary. But this did. This was maybe an heirloom. It was maybe something handed down. It was maybe something uh, she had saved for all her life. But, but she comes and she breaks this vial and she pours it on Jesus. And in verse 4 it says, They began to remark to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? And in verse 5, they were scolding her. That word for scolding is an indication of an angry bull or an angry horse that is snorting indignation. They began to breathe down indignation on her. They were snorting at her. They were scolding her. They were accusing her. They were griping at her. And the chorus of critics began to join together. You know how critics are. You get one of them started, and everybody else comes into the story with them. Judas was always the chairman of the critic committee. Those who betray Jesus always are. And he gets out his calculator, and he figures it out. Why, we could have used all of that, she could have sold that, and we could have fed the poor. Now, the thing you need to remember, Jesus, uh, Judas didn't care a thing about feeding poor people. Judas only cared about feeding himself. Judas didn't care anything about the poor, but he began to calculate. And just so you'll know, in today's dollars, that perfume was worth between twenty-five dollars and $30,000. One act, one moment, one simple act of worship cost this woman $30,000. That's what I call a meaningful act of worship. 
It certainly got Jesus' attention. It got the disciples' attention. And here's Judas trying to figure out what else could have been done besides what she did. You know Judas, don't you? Judas knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. Judas could tell you what everything in the store cost, but he knew nothing of what was valuable. And Jesus comes and he says to these disciples, you call it waste, but I'll call it worship. You condemn her, but I will commend her. You know, Judas still has some relatives in the church today. He still has people who criticize those who worship and work. They don't want to do anything themselves. They don't want to lift a finger to help. They don't want to serve anywhere. They don't want to give anything. They don't want to do anything, but they will be glad to tell those who do it what they're doing wrong. That is a problem of Judas that limits an understanding of what worship and service is all about. If you're going to serve God, if you're going to worship God, the one thing you need to know is that you will be misunderstood by the Judases and their relatives. They will never understand why you do what you do. They will never understand why you give what you give. They'll never understand why you volunteer to do what you do because they want everything for themselves and nothing for anyone else. The meaning of worship is found in the fact that Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? What was the meaning? The meaning was found in that this was a visible expression of love. Now, let's admit, not everything we do in the church is a visible expression of love. You can teach a Sunday school class. You can sing in the choir. You can serve on a committee. You can usher. You can serve in the parking lot. You can preach. You can be on a staff. And what you do not be a visible expression of love. It can just be a job. It can't just be something you do because somebody twisted your arm or because it just seems like the right thing to do. But Mary did it because it was a visible expression of love. John says in his epistle in chapter 3, verse 18, Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. I know this. Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? I know this, that Jesus becomes the defense attorney for everybody who does something in his name. He stands before. He stands between. He stands around those who do things in his name. And this woman gave an expression of love that was extravagant. She gave something that was valuable. She gave a gift that was unrepeatable. This was a once-in-a-lifetime gift. She wouldn't do this again. She wouldn't have the means to. But she gave an extravagant, unrepeatable gift out of an overflow of her love for her Lord. She didn't do it to get crowd approval. It's obvious. She got crowd disapproval. But she did it out of love for God. She did not do it out of calculation. In fact, I think if she did what most of us do, if she'd have calculated it out, she would have never done it. She did it as a spontaneous, meaningful expression of her love for God. And for our worship and our service to have meaning in the eyes of God, it must be a visible expression of love. The only reason we do it is because we love God. Secondly, there is the measure of worship. Look at verse 6 and verse 8. 
She has done a good deed for me. Verse 8, she has done what she could. It wasn't worthless. It wasn't wasted. Now, they said it was wasted. They evaluated the situation. They evaluated her worship. They evaluated her service. And they said, what a waste for her to give herself and to give that when they could have given it to the poor. But that's not the way the Holy Spirit evaluated it. For in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and John, this account is recorded because Jesus said, I want you to remember what's important to me. It's not the way Jesus interpreted it, but the people there interpreted it as an insignificant, meaningless event. But Jesus said it was a good deed, and she has done what she could. Now, what are you and I to do for Jesus? We know that what we do is an outgrowth of who we are. What are we to do for Jesus? We are to do for Jesus what we can do. That's all. See, Jesus never requires of us, of us something that he does not give us. We are to do for Jesus what is within us to do. We are to give to him what he has given us the capacity to give. We are to take that which he has invested in us and invest it in others. How do you measure worship and service? You measure it by realizing that all you need and all he asks, he has already supplied so that you can meet the need that he's got for you. God has given us all we need. I find that over and over in Scripture. In Elijah, you remember we talked a few weeks ago about Elijah and the, and the widow woman who was in debt, and they were about to take her sons and sell them as slaves. And Elijah, the prophet of God, came to the woman and said, What do you have in your house? She had already had the garage sale. <laughs> Everything was gone, and she said, I've just got a pot of oil. And he said, Send your sons out and go get barrels and begin to pour. What did Elijah ask of the woman? He just asked her what she had. You remember Moses? Moses, what is that in your hand? Oh, it's just a rod. Just a shepherd's rod, just a rod that I use to keep the sheep in line. Moses, throw it down. And when Moses threw it down, if you read in the book of Exodus, after he picked it up, it is never called the rod of Moses again. It is always called the rod of God. God used something in Moses' hand that had been thrown down and given to God. When he picked it back up, it had the power of God on it. David, a small shepherd boy. Goliath taunting the people of God. He's walking toward Goliath, and God must have spoken to David's heart and said, David, what have you got in the pouch, son? Oh, not much. Just five stones and a sling. That'll be enough. I'll handle it with one. You see, God never asks of us anything that he has not already given us the capacity to do what he's asked us to do. And you know what our problem is? 
I don't know about you. I, well, I do because we're all human beings. I, we all fall into this same trap. We spend most of our lives looking around a room like this thinking, now, if I had a talent like his, if I could sing like her, if I could do this, if I could do that, I could really be used by God. Now, this way means yes and this way means no. Isn't that what you do? Don't you spend a lot of your life comparing yourself to other people? Say, so, boy, if God had just given me that talent, if God had just given me that ability, if God had just blessed me like that, and we spend all of our lives, in fact, we waste our lives wanting to be like somebody else, wanting to have what somebody else has got. I've been praying and asking God for 20 years to give me a voice like Adrian Rogers. God just won't do it. I keep telling him I'd be more effective. And all the time, God's trying to work in me and say, Listen, son, if you just give me what I've given you, I'll use you more than you can ever imagine. You see, it's not what he's given somebody else. It's what he's placed within you. It's the talent he's given you. It's the spiritual gift that he's given you. It's the love that he's bestowed on you. All he wants from you is what he's given you. He doesn't want you to be like anybody else. He wants you to be like you under the authority and the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then your life begins to take on meaning and it begins to take on significance. There's a song that says, If just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. God does not come and ask you for impossible things. He comes and merely asks you to give Him what He has given you. And her love seizes the moment. The cost didn't matter. She responds, maybe impulsively, to the urging and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is where we lose it. I think this is where the, the measure of our, of our worship and service is lost. God prompts us. God speaks to us. He motivates us. The Spirit of God speaks to us and says, write this letter, make this phone call, give this gift, give this away, do this, go here, visit that person, make a cake for this person. And we begin to sit down and rationalize and reason out what we feel like we ought to do and determine whether we can do it or not. And we miss the moment to be a blessing in somebody's life. Why? Because we wait too long. My friend, I tell you, God's prompted me to do a lot of things in my life that I have not responded to, only later to find I missed a blessing. There's some people dead now that I wish I had said I love you to before they died. There's some people that are away now, gone to be with the Lord that I wish I'd called them when I just had that impulse to call them. You ever get somebody on your mind just out of the blue? You know what that is? That's the Spirit of God prompting you to pray for them because they need it at that moment. You may not even know why they need it, but I guarantee you if you picked up the phone after you got through praying and called, you'd find out that there was a crisis, there was a tragedy, there was a need, or maybe something was avoided because you responded to the Spirit's prompting. That's what worship is. Worship is measured by us responding to the Spirit's prompting. It is extravagant. It is exclusive. This woman didn't hold back anything. She didn't save it for a rainy day. She did not sit down and look at the election results and say, well, I may have to dip into this for my pension, so I'm going to have to hold off here and not give Jesus what I want to give Him. She didn't count her pennies. 
She gave her best. Could I submit to you that worship of God is never found with a person who's always looking at their watch? That those who follow Jesus and count the cost never really take a calculator with them. They just throw themselves on abandonment to God. Oh, we want God to bless us. We want God to minister to us. We want God to use us. We want God to protect our children and to meet our needs. And yet, we want God to pour out His blessings on us while we just, as small a measure as we can, give of ourselves to Him. You see, you never give extravagantly. You never give exclusively. You never give out of an impulse to serve God if you're always trying to figure out your hours at the church down to the last minute and your tithe down to the last penny. you just got to do beyond. You've got to do above. It can't be calculated. Have you ever been in a Sunday school class or in a church with somebody who always liked to tell you what they used to do for God? Don't look at me so righteous. Have you ever been around somebody just, I mean, they just, they love to tell you how faithful they've served God, all they've done. And it's a great testimony. I tell you what I wish I had. You know, they, these people, they usually walk around with copies of their resume right inside their suit coat and they begin to hand it out, you know. Here's what I've done. In case you don't know, you may want to remember this tell your children about it when they get a little older. You know what? God is not impressed with what we've done. God is impressed with what we could have done if we had given our whole heart to Him. You see, if you read the account in Scripture of the judgment seat of Christ, you will find that we are judged in that time, not for our salvation, but for our works as Christians. And we are judged not so much for the sins we have committed as for the light that we have rejected. And we will be judged by what we could have been, how we could have lived, what we could have given, not what we did, but what we could have done with all that God invested in us. He will say, here's what I gave you. What have you given in return? If you don't believe that, read the parable of the talents in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus comes, he comes expecting an investment to be made with what he has given us, and he expects interest in return. He expects something to be shown for what he has placed within us, and he judges us on that basis. God judges us because we are a heartbeat away from what we will be for all eternity, either good or bad. And so, my friend, whatever you plan to do for Jesus, you better do it now. You better not wait till you get a raise. You better not wait till you get a promotion. You better not wait until the kids are grown. You better do it now because this is the only life you've got to do it in. You see, it's what we could have done. You and I are one breath, one heartbeat away from what we will be for all eternity. I know we get resurrection bodies. I know that. But you will not have anything in heaven with you that you did not deposit there in this life. Nothing increases in heaven except Jesus. Your works stay as they are. One heartbeat away. One breath away. 
from what we will always be. And I wonder when we die if God will say to us, you did all you could. You did everything that I asked you to do. You see, Mary needed to do this because time was running out for her. In a week, Jesus would be dead. My friend, time's running out for us too. And whatever ministry and whatever gifts and whatever service whatever opportunities we're going to take advantage of, we better do it now because our time is running out and will not return again for us to have another opportunity to serve God. Whatever you're going to do, friend, do it now because it's not going to happen again. This point in your life, this point in our church only comes one time. And what God prompts us to do, we must do it when He prompts us to do it because that door never comes open again. Number three the motive of worship and service. Notice the two little words in verse 6, to me or unto me, the motive of worship and service. You know, Jesus carries some strange things in his scrapbook. Jesus has a memory box, you know. He has a scrapbook. There are things that he tells us in this word that he remembers There are things that he sees. He has a lot of funny things in that scrapbook. He has taped in that scrapbook a widow's mite. He has on the shelf a cup of cold water given in his name. And right beside it is a broken alabaster box. Things that we don't think are important. You see, we judge gifts by their size. God judges by their sort. God judges by what we could do. The motive is that we do it unto Him. Notice verse 8. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. She placed Jesus above everything. She placed Jesus above anything else or anybody else, and she anointed him for the burial. Now, I'm going to tell you, that was a big surprise to Mary because she didn't know she was anointing him for burial. All her motive was that she wanted to do something for Jesus, and the only thing she needed to do was to take the most expensive thing that she had and pour it out on Jesus. The greatest gift that she could give, the one thing that meant more to her than anything else, her most valued possession, she turned it over to Jesus and she poured it out on Him. I know this, every act of worship and obedience and service has consequences beyond what you and I can possibly imagine. We don't know how God uses all this. But we do know this, the Lord remembers what we forget. And he also forgets what we remember. The things that we think are important, he doesn't think are important. The things that we attach to our names don't matter to him. You see, titles and positions and offices are not important to Jesus if it's not done to him and for Him, and to His praise, and to His glory. You can have every degree on the face of the earth. You could have held every office on the face of the earth in the church. You could have served in every position. You could have had the accolades of men. But my friend, the motive is always judged by what you did to Him. 
because you only are effective with the body when your motive is to please Him. You only have power in your teaching, in your service, in your committee work, whatever it is you do. The power only comes, the blessing only comes, the acknowledgement of God only comes when it is done to Him. Kent Hughes said, Mary followed her heart, snap went the bottleneck, out poured the fortune, down came her hair. We have no trouble dreaming exalted visions, but getting from the heart to the lips, from the heart to the hands, from the heart to the bank account, that's another matter. The motive was spontaneous love for God. You see, the issue of life is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is confessing Him as Lord. Not one time in Scripture will you ever find the term Savior and Lord. It is always Lord and Savior. Because you see, when you come to Jesus, you come to Him as your Lord. And you give Him and you hold nothing back from what He asks of you. That is the motive of serving God. And God never honors, He never tells us to remember anybody who does less than they can. We honor people sometimes just because they show up. God doesn't honor those people. We honor people sometimes because they do nice things. God doesn't honor those people. God honors people who give their best, who do their best, who love the most, who have done all that they could do. You say, well, I can't do as much as this person over here. That's not even the issue. Have you done all that was in your power to do and the power that God gave you to do it? The motive love for God. And it says in John's gospel that she wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now in that culture, a woman's hair was her glory. They did not cut their hair. They just let it grow long and, and she, in a moment of worship, realized that she had spontaneously served the Lord, had given to the Lord, and she didn't bring a towel with her, so she let her hair down, and she began to wipe the feet of Jesus with her hair, and she let her glory down so that she could touch glory. She let her hair down and used her hair as a towel. And Jesus said, I like that. And he turned around to his disciples and said, Boys, you need to write this down somewhere where you don't forget it. Because you see, fourthly, there's a memorial to our work, to our worship, to our service. Verse 9, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached, in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. And Judas went off to betray her. I don't think it's by accident that Jesus said, Remember this woman. And the Holy Spirit came back when they wrote the gospel, said, And remember Judas. Remember the one who worshiped, and remember the one who wasted his life. Remember the one who gave for the gospel's sake. But don't forget the one 
who calculated all that he would do for Jesus and then sold him for the price of a slave. Remember. Remember this woman. You need to remember her because she anointed Jesus for burial. They didn't have time to anoint him for burial because of the time of his crucifixion and the Passover and the Jewish laws and customs. And so when they came on Easter Sunday to anoint the body of Jesus for burial, the body was gone. Jesus was resurrected. He was alive. And there would have been no anointing of the body of Jesus if Mary had not obeyed the prompting of the Spirit on that day in that house in Bethany. Remember it. You know why? Because what Mary poured out on Jesus came back on her. You know why? Because when she let her hair down and used it as a towel, that which she had anointed Jesus with anointed her hair. And where she went in that house, the fragrance of Jesus went with her. And what she touched and who she spoke to, the same fragrance that was on Jesus was on Mary. My friend, God notices things that you and I ignore. And he said, as long as you preach the gospel, you tell people about Mary because she exemplifies what wholehearted worship and service is all about. And so here we are, 1992. 1960 years after that bottle of perfume was broken. If you would go to the mall today and try to buy that bottle of perfume, you better have an American Express card because it's going to cost you $30,000. But you know what? We're here today, and we remember a woman a peasant woman in a small town, in a small country. Millions and millions and millions of women have lived since those years and those days. But only one did Jesus say, Don't forget Mary, for she has done what she could. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. High heaven rejects the lore of nicely calculated less and more. Could I ask you a question this morning? Is there anything this morning about your life that if Jesus were here this morning, He would say, I want to encourage you to remember that person because they've done all they could. Oh, we honor people and we judge by so many different standards, but Jesus has a standard of worship and of service. And when you and I, out of unreserved love for God, live like He tells us to live, worship like He tells us to worship, serve like He tells us to serve, then He says, remember that person because they've done it to me and they've done all they could do. I wonder if today 
if we were all lined up at the judgment seat of Christ? How many of us would hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. You did all you could do. Enter into heaven. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.